African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us right here on uh, African Dialogue, where we really zoom into one subject that really looks at uh, the issues of the continent. And uh, today you are listening to us right here on Channel Africa, uh, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. It's great to be back with you. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us uh, on uh, DSTV on Channel 902. That's on the radio bouquet. If you're listening to us via your radio set, it's on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's our service into the continent. Online, you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the release of uh, two activists in Swaziland and really look at the issue of uh, human rights on the African continent. But before we get into that, we've got Anne Musa standing by. She'll give us our news. In the headlines, the United States warns of possible sanctions against the leadership of Burundi. Boko Haram militants attack the Nigerian army chief's home and the world experiences the hottest six months on record. A very good morning to you. The United States has warned of possible sanctions against the leadership of Burundi, deemed responsible and complicit in promoting instability in the country. The State Department warned that the elections were not credible under the current conditions and would therefore further discredit the government. Vote counting is currently underway. In an election, incumbent President Pierre Kurunziza is likely to win. Serakimani reports. The State Department said in a statement released hours after the polls that Burundi's electoral process had been tainted by what it said was government's harassment of opposition and civil society members, closing down of media outlets and the political space and intimidation of voters. At least 150 people have been killed in three months of protest against President Pierre Nkurunzinza's third-term bid seen as unconstitutional and against the Arusha Peace Accord. It condemned Sunday's decision by the Burundi government to withdraw from the East African community's mediated talks. Meanwhile, in Burundi, the tallying process is underway following today's election, marred by a low voter turnout and an opposition boycott. 
The trial of Chad's former president, Hassan Habre, has been suspended until September, thus to allow court-appointed lawyers to prepare his defense. The extraordinary African chambers established by Senegal and the African Union is trying Habre for crimes against humanity, war crimes and torture. Habre risks 30 years in jail if found guilty by the court, set up to try the former leader for the crimes during his rule from 1982 to 1990. Suspected Boko Haram militants have burned down houses, killing two people and wounding eight others. One of the houses is the family home of Nigeria's new army chief who was not present at the time of the attack. Boko Haram has waged a deadly campaign to carve out a state adhering to strict Islamic law in Nigeria's northeast for the past six years. President Muhammadu Buhari has made ending the insurgency his priority. He discussed how to tackle it during his first trip to Washington to meet President Barack Obama. Political analyst Somado Tafikeni says South Africans have lost the opportunity to ensure new laws are legislated following the controversial security upgrades at the president's private residence. His statement comes as the parliament's ad hoc committee prepares to visit President Jacob Zuma's private home in northern KwaZulu-Natal province. The committee will assess the security upgrades to Zuma's Nkandla residence. Fikeni says although the visit is pointless, the least parliament can do is find a way of reassuring members of the public that all is not lost. Parliament has a role they could begin to say, can we review the policies which guide security upgrade so that we learn from the past and make sure that there is no abuse in future. That would be a lot more reassuring than the current partisan bickering. And finally, the first six months of this year have been the hottest on record both on land and in oceans. This according to data gathered by the United Nations World Meteorological Organization, WMO. The overall average temperature was 0.85 degrees Celsius above the average of 15.5 degrees recorded for the 20th century. Claire Nullis from WMO says there is a direct relationship between climate change and higher temperatures. It's too early to say, you know, 100% certainty that it is due to climate change. But everything that we've seen about this heat wave does conform to what we would expect from climate change scenarios. And the climate change scenarios are that heat waves will become more frequent, they'll become more intense, and they will last for longer. Recapping the top stories, the United States warns of possible sanctions against the leadership of Burundi. Boko Haram militants attack the Nigerian army chief's home, and the world experiences the hottest six months on record. Well, you are listening to African Dialogue, and uh, remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Just a reminder that African Dialogue is a program that really focuses on one issue every day that really zooms in on some of the pivotal issues on the continent of Africa, and we have a usual dialogue and a debate around those particular issues. Today, we're going to be looking at a human rights uh, issue. Uh, we were actually uh, speaking about this in the newsroom, uh, and there was a lot of 
of conversations around this particular subject uh, where a journalist was actually uncovering this particular aspect of things. Uh, and uh, Tulani Maseko is a Swazi human rights uh, lawyer and civil rights activist who advocates for human rights and political rights in Swaziland, including constitutional reforms in favor of freedom and democracy. Peggy Bakubu is a senior and respected Swazi journalist who is an editor and publisher of The Nation magazine. Now, what happened to them in 2014? They were charged and convicted for contempt of court for articles criticizing the unjust way in which former Chief Justice Michael Ramudibedi had handled a case involving Bansubi Kwebu. They were sentenced to two years in prison without the option of a fine. Now, that's very interesting. Now, the two were termed prisoners of conscience by Amnesty International, and they are these particular uh, what are termed as frivolous charges were seen as nothing else but an attempt to curtail freedom of speech in Swaziland. This is according to Amnesty International. Now, just recently, this particular uh, sentence was overturned by the Supreme Court, uh, both for their conviction and the sentence, and it took place on uh, the 30th of June 2015. But this is after they spent 15 months in jail. Now, today we're going to ask you the question, do you think that uh, our governments and our justice systems adhere to international human rights laws on the continent? What is your view on this? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We want to hear your views. SMS us as we start the program. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. On the program, we've got Sipo Gomete, who's a Secretary General of the organization titled Lawyers for Human Rights. We also have uh, Diva Mavinga, who is a Senior Researcher for Human Rights watch. Uh, Tulani Maseko is one of the Swazi human rights lawyer that I highlighted who was advocating for a particular view and was actually arrested for that. He's a, a human rights lawyer and civil rights activist and also he works for his own company TR Maseko Attorneys. But I want to start with you Tulani and hear your story as you narrated for us as we start the program. Tell us a little bit about uh, this particular experience, what actually took place and what led to this particular moment where the Supreme Court actually overturned this particular conviction and sentence? Well, thank you very much indeed. As you said uh, in your summary that you were arrested in March 2015 on the allegation of contempt of court after I was an article about the former Chief Judge Michael Ramon Bate. But my view has always been that uh, the case was never about contempt of court. It was about extracting Jews which are not popular mm. with the Tingunda government of Swaziland. Uh, fundamentally because I thought that they were manipulating state institutions in order to ensure that uh, the oppressive system is intact. And I think on the question of our release on the 3rd of June uh, this year, um, it is not so much that the, uh, there was any case against us. I think the government considered at the last minute mm. that there was never a case against us. And the judge who sentenced and convicted us was wrong from the beginning. I think second to that, I am of the view that uh, that also because of the amount of pressure that the world put on government for our release. Because this was uh, about the uh, expressing views which are uh, different from those were held by those who are in charge of the government today. Mm. 
Well, Tsunani, the climate in Swaziland seems like it doesn't enable a sense of uh, opposition, a voice that has kind of an opposition like we see in South Africa, a country like South Africa, where we always have the voice of the opposition almost weighing in in um, our media and it's almost overriding the news agenda. But it seems like in your country there's a different sense of view in terms of criticism, in terms of uh, uh, analysis. Why is this the case? Uh, do you understand the environment? Do you understand the uh, way the atmosphere is in the country there? Of course, my view has always been that the problem is the system of government. And I think uh, perhaps you may recall that it was on the 12th of April 1973 when the late King Sopuza, who is the father to the current king, you know, appropriated what was then called the independent constitution. And part of the reason for him to do so was that uh, the constitution introduced, you know, values and ideas which were not in line, according to him, with the Swazi way of life. And I think part of his complaint was that uh, it had allowed an open democratic process where political parties were allowed to exist and contested elections. And in 1972, one of the political opposition called the Ngwane National Liberal Congress had won three seats in parliament. And it is said that the king was upset by that because he had wanted a system where there were no political parties. Uh, on that day, therefore, the king not only unlawfully repealed the independent constitution, but he also banned political parties and uh, prohibited any form of free political expression. Uh, the view that many of us take that uh, when the, the new king, King Swati III, assumed the throne on the 25th of April 1986, he wanted to continue the trend where the monarchy was the dominant authority in the governance of the country. And I think it is very unfortunate that we see a monarchy which is hostile to free political activity. And I think this is contained and it's clear from the 2005 constitution which the king adopted. Was section 79 of the Constitution of Swaziland also you know, prohibit the existence of political parties. And therefore, what we have seen over the years is a, an absolute government and the monarch uh, who is hostile to any form of dissent. And I think that's the crux of the problem in Swaziland. Mm. Let me move on to you, Sipo Kumete, from Lawyers for Human Rights, and you are the Secretary General there, and I know you work at the Swaziland office. Uh, what is your view in terms of what happened in this particular case inclu- uh, involving Tulani Maseko and uh, Beki Makubu? We know there's been other incidences where people have been arrested in Swaziland in terms of opposition to the monarchy and the way of governance in the country. What's happening in this particular uh, state in terms of uh, uh, transparency and human rights? Uh, uh, can you elaborate for us as well? Okay. Thank you, maybe, to make a slight correction that um, I'm no longer the Secretary General, but okay. um, I was when um, Tulane and Pegu were arrested. Okay. And like Tulane has summarized it, um, in actual fact, the main challenge in Swaziland is the clamp down on basic fundamental rights and freedoms. The case was was basically about that, that you, you are not allowed in Swaziland to express your views. Your freedom of conscience is outlawed. Is out your freedom of expression is outlawed. Um, you, 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 you are in fact expected to, to be subservient to whatever 
ideas uh, that comes from the monarchy, like children are saying, um, because the former chief justice was, was, was actually an instrument. Uh, he, he, all the wrongs that he did, for me, he was actually carrying out a particular mandate. Um, because if it wasn't uh, that case, he would have long been removed from, from the position. Recently, he was removed because we believe he carried out his instruction. He, he, he has run his usefulness to the regime in Southwest. So I think, uh, in summary, the, the basic challenge in Swaziland is that fundamental rights and freedoms are at low. Hmm, hmm. Well, it, it's also... So for, uh, yeah, you can carry on, Sipo, you were saying? For, yes. For Peggy and Tulane, they dared to try to exercise a right which they believe. In terms of the Constitution, in terms of the Human Rights Declaration, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the African Charter, they were entitled to as citizens of the country. Unfortunately, that did not go down, not just with, with, with the judiciary, because if the government then believed they had those fundamental rights, it would have intervened, but it didn't. Hmm. Let me move to you, uh, Diva Mavinga, from uh, Human Rights Watch. You're the senior researcher for Human Rights Watch. I mean, we've seen these kind of trends, especially when it comes to freedom of expression, where people are kind of trampled down. We know that there was that incident. I know that was the most popular incident that I can remember of right now, where President Robert Mugabe uh, trampled and fell down and journalists were barred from publicizing that particular picture. I know some were also detained for sharing those particular photos. We know there's a case that's taking place in Angola when a man was just uh, actually sentenced for actually writing a particular book and taking a, a particular stance. In terms of human rights violation when it comes to freedom of expression, why is there such a, a threat coming on this particular aspect of human rights, especially that freedom of expression point? Um, well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, let me start off by paying tribute to Tulani Maseko and uh, Becky Makubu for standing up uh, for their rights and um, despite the persecution from the Swazi uh, regime. Uh, going on to, to the question, I, I think the fundamental aspect about human rights is that when people are free to express themselves and their views, uh, uh, governments, uh, especially in Africa, then view them as a threat to their power. So this is why there is such a vicious clampdown on freedom of expression uh, because people are not uh, allowed by, the, by their governments to criticize or to air their views which may be contrary uh, to the position that government holds. Uh, and it, the situation becomes worse when not only government is clamping down but when you have a judiciary uh, that is compromised and that is subservient to, to the ruling elite. Uh, as, as was the case in Swaziland, where the judiciary was at the forefront of uh, persecuting Tulan Masego and Bekimakubu. So, so when you have that kind of collapse in the rule of law, and there is no separation of powers, uh, then you will see that human rights are most at risk. And this is a similar situation like the one that you referred to in Angola. Uh, and in Zimbabwe, it's clear that the judiciary is severely compromised, and uh, the regime they, uh, under President Robert Mugabe, then uses the law 
uh, abuses the law uh, to uh, take away the fundamental freedoms that people should have, notwithstanding uh, that in the constitutions of these countries, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, Angola, or even South Africa, these values will be protected, these rights will be enshrined, but still governments find ways of circumventing and undermining these constitutional values, which are human rights. Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to that issue and I know we're going to investigate it as well tomorrow on our program looking at the separation between those powers the legal arm of uh, governance and also the political governing uh, of a country how do you separate those particular two powers I think that's something we can also start dealing with from today but coming back to you as the listener do you think African leaders and our African governments adhering to international human rights laws hearing a case here of Tulani Maseko and Beki Makubu were arrested just for their particular views and stance they took on criticizing the legal system of their country. They were sentenced to two years. It was overturned just recently, the 30th of June, 2015. So what are your views on that? Do you think that African leaders adhere to international human rights laws? Send us your views by SMS. Send us your SMSs to plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. On the line we have Sipo Kumete from the Lawyers for Human Rights based there in Swaziland. We've got Diva Mavinga, who's the senior researcher at Human Rights Watch. Tulane Maseko was uh, one of the arrested uh, in this particular case we're talking about. He's a human rights lawyer and civil rights activist. We'll continue after this break. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. You with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us on this particular discussion we're having today. Remember, we're asking you the question today Do African leaders and governments adhere to international human rights laws? Let us know your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We want to hear from you. If you are SMSing us from South Africa, it's the same number minus the plus two seven. It's simply oh seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Now there seems to be an issue that we need to look at here, and I would like us to look at it today. The separation of uh, the state and the judicial system. And uh, it seems like as was uh, insinuated there by uh, Sipokumete that a country like Swaziland could be struggling with those particular uh, separation. Um, Diva Mavinga, what's your view there on uh, the state and the judiciary system? Do you think that we're doing well on the continent in separating those two arms of power? Uh, I think it remains a big challenge, uh, the failure to separate and keep independent uh, the different arms of government. 
uh, you would find that across Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Switzerland included, uh, the executive arm of government tends to uh, overreach and dominate and uh, to uh, seek to exercise undue influence uh, on the judiciary. Uh, if you look closely at uh, recent events in South Africa, where senior political figures have been uh, insulting members of the judiciary or questioning the integrity of the judiciary, uh, that points to a failure to respect the autonomy of the judiciary, and that then puts human rights under serious risk. Uh, this is the same uh, in Zimbabwe, where you have very senior government officials uh, publicly insulting the members of the judiciary or pushing members of the judiciary out of office. And the same also uh, in Swaziland, where we have had uh, recently the, uh, the judicial crisis there. Uh, so the, the, the overall picture is that